All right, I'm going to have the most bizarre answer that any guest will ever have. <laughs> that's how you that's how you got ready for the Super Bowl. A crunching block by Steve Shaw eliminated the last redskin in Walker's path. You either love me or you hate me. Thanks for listening. My name's Noah Lack. If you like sports and you're interested in business and you want to hear both from a unique perspective you've never heard from before, well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Athletes and Assets. Woo-wee! Do we have a special treat today? Episode 5 of the Athletes and Assets podcast. I am joined by former linebacker of the Miami Dolphins, former co-captain with his Super Bowl appearance, and a current legend in the real estate performance coaching industry, Steve Shule. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. Look forward to it. Steve, what I do on my podcast is I skip the small talk. I got something for you. What is more nerve-wracking for you? Is it the coin toss in the Super Bowl? or is it giving a giant webinar slash conference in front of a bunch of successful real estate moguls? I would say the coin toss was a lot more exciting. Uh, however, I, I certainly enjoy what I do. Talk about your upbringing. Uh, what got you into football? Talk about where you grew up. Well, I grew up uh, outside of Philadelphia, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And I mean, right from the beginning, I don't know what started it. I was just always attracted to sports, baseball, football, basketball, big Eagles fan, big Philadelphia Philly fan, um, uh, 76er fan, Will Chamberlain, one of my big heroes, Muhammad Ali. I, I was just, uh, sports is my thing. I think my dad said it best. He said, if I could change my, if I could have changed my own diapers, I would have, meaning I was very independent as a child, very focused, knew what I want. My parents didn't have to, you know, uh, push me one way or the other. I, I just came out of the womb going in a certain direction. That is um, an incredible Hall of Fame quote. If I could change my own diapers, I could have. I mean, <laughs> that that says a lot right there, but but that that's awesome. And so, you know, in high school with, with you playing football, uh, do you, do you remember your recruiting process sort of how, what sort of went into your decision and uh, what were you sort of looking for in towards the tail end of your high school career, I guess? What, what happened in high school, uh, I played, you know, I played little league baseball. I was a great pitcher. And, and then I started playing football, probably it was about seventh grade and basketball. I I'd play young also. I threw my arm out in baseball. I think it was in seventh grade. And, and so it was, re I, that kind of, I kept playing, but you know, I was a pitcher. I blew my arm out. So that kind of, uh, you know, I was I relegated to the, you know, playing different positions, basketball. I wasn't really tall enough, uh, to, you know, stand out in basketball, love basketball. And so football kind of just gravitated towards being my thing. And I had a, a, a really good high school career. And when it came down to senior year, my, my coach, uh, the guy who coached me, his name was Pal Allison. He could see my talent. 
he would feature me. He would, he would put me in position to look really good on, on film. I was hoping to get a football scholarship. Why I was hoping to do that. I don't know. Um, I was, I only had two recruiting visits to college. Uh, William and Mary was one of them and Villanova was the other one outside of that. I had no interest uh, from other schools and I really don't know what would have happened if I, I hadn't gotten a football scholarship. Unfortunately, uh, William and Mary offered me uh, a full ride and I accepted that. And again, I, I'm not sure what would have happened uh, had they not offered me a scholarship. You know, it's one thing to have 30 or 50 offers. It's another thing to uh, have just a couple. So your decision-making is... Oh, there was no couple. There was only one. There was, oh, either, there was two, just trips, one. two trips, one offer. So it wasn't, it wasn't a hard choice. <laughs> it's great. Your decision was made for you. Exactly. Awesome. So I... Um, I'm, I'm aware of how good of a school William & Mary is, but I think it's a very uh, small school relative to, to the rest of the country. William & Mary is a small, high academic school in, in Virginia. Um, and when I visited, I had a, had a nice colonial feeling. Uh, not super known for football, but talk about uh, sort of what your expectations were, were getting there and sort of your, your experience um, with, in, in its entirety. Academics. Yeah, I mean, William and Mary is, is a great academic school. And when I went there, we were Division 1A. We, we were Division 1. Uh, we were not a football powerhouse by, by any means whatsoever. And we played with teams like Navy, Temple, East Carolina, Richmond, UVA, um, Virginia Tech, Louisville. You know, we played a very competitive schedule. And uh, my coach was Jim Root, the head coach. And then I was very fortunate. My linebacker coach was Lou Tepper. And Lou was, he was, uh, he really preached the fundamentals. He really preached how to have good form, good technique. And he was a great coach. And he, he taught me how to, play the game. And, and, and so I was lucky in that way. We, we didn't have a great team. I think we, our first year, we might've been seven and four and it kind of went downhill from, from there. And, um, but we, however, we played a competitive schedule. I had a great coach and what, what, what happened for me as, as when I got to William and Mary, I weighed 185 pounds. Oh, 185 pounds. 185 pounds. Were you a linebacker? I was a linebacker. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, and I got to I got to play in my freshman year. There were there were three of us. We uh, there were three inside linebackers: myself, Jim Ryan, uh, Eddie Amos, and we rotated uh, the the two positions, the three of us, and. What happened for me, Jim Ryan, who was a year ahead of me, uh, in his after his senior year, I had kind of given up on the dream of making it to the pros. As you know, as I became a freshman, sophomore, junior, you know, William and Mary's not exactly, you know, uh, 
uh, Alabama in right. terms of uh, producing pro, pro players. Right. I kind of given up on the dream. And then Jim Ryan, who was a year ahead of me, he got a free agent contract with the Denver Broncos and went on to make the team. And when that, that happened, I said, well, if he could do it, and we were, we were similar in terms of our abilities, uh, then I said, maybe there's, maybe there's a shot for me. So uh, went through my, my senior year, wasn't getting a, a lot of interest yeah. from anyone. I, I went out and I got an agent. And I was hoping back then the draft was a lot different. It was, it was like 12 rounds or even longer. I forget. And I, I got an agent and we went through day one of the draft and no one, no one's calling went through day two of the draft. Nobody's calling and I'm going there. There goes the, there goes the dream. However, I got a call from the Miami Dolphins. As it happened, um, I forget his name. Wally England. No, I forget his name. Uh, one of the coach's daughters happened to be the equipment manager, William and Mary. Wow. And so there was a little, little connection. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I got a call from the Dolphins. And they invited me to come down as a free agent for training camp and again this is 1980 things are a little different back then right anyway so i'm in my living room and at the time you'll you never know it i had really long hair big perm big fu manchu and after college i uh i had a shoulder issue so i had had shoulder surgery and i had a broken wrist and my wrist was in a cast. Right. And so I get this call from the Dolphins. They invite me down to minicamp and get on the plane. First, first I went and got all my hair cut off. <laughs> I got on the plane. Just, just like how it is now. That's the exact same cut. <laughs> got on the plane, went down, and I couldn't do a whole lot in the minicamp because I was still recovering from shoulder surgery and I had a, a cast on my hand. Uh, I'll, I, I, I'll never forget when I get there. Now we're in Miami. It's, uh, I think May, May or June. And I'm going into the facility and the facility is in this God awful place, uh, called St. Thomas university. I don't know what it's like now. Yeah. Back then it was about two steps down from a motel six and as I'm going into the facility, Don Shula happens to be coming off the practice field. He'd just been out for a run and he's all sweaty, a little overweight at the time. And, you know, he was the God, you know, yeah. Don Shula, if they, you know, had yeah. a Mount Rushmore football coaches, he'd certainly be there. Absolutely. And had a little bit of a lisp and, you know, all right, this is Don Shula anyway. So I go in and, Mini camp is about a week long, and there were some things I could do, most things I really couldn't do. And so it's the end of mini camp. I don't have a contract, and I'm about to get on a plane and go back back home. And they call me into the director of player personnel. His name was Bill Davis, and Bill puts down a contract for me, 
And I say, you know, I have an agent, you know, I, I, I'd rather you negotiate with him. And the contract was a $500 signing bonus, 500. Yes. $500. Pretty, pretty lucrative. First year, 25,000. Second year, 30,000. And then a 10% bonus increase in year three. And I say, again, you know, can you talk to my agent? And, and Bill Davis says to me, son, if you don't sign this contract, I'm sure we can find someone who will. And boom, there's my signature. And I signed that contract and flew home. So boom, you signed the contract. And I would just would love to do one thing real quick and circle back to the point at William & Mary where you didn't think this day would, would arrive. And so my question to you is at William & Mary, what was going through your head in terms of a backup plan or what got you into, did you get into business or was there a curriculum at William & Mary that you were looking at the time before you knew you were going to sign that contract? Well, I, I, I was in, you know, I got a degree in uh, business management and I, I figured, you know, I would do something. I, <laughs> another funny story. Uh, I, I had a, I only had one interview with Conoco Oil. They they flew me down to Houston, Texas. I can remember <laughs> typing up my resume on that 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 old paper, onion light paper with the white out. Yeah, you know, staying up all night trying to type up this resume. Really didn't have any clothes to wear. It sounds like any, it, it sounds like your academic advisor gave you a lot of help right there. Um, there's no academic advisor. <laughs> So I, so I, I don't know what I was thinking. So I get on a plane, they, they played for, they paid for the plane ticket and I get on the plane and I, I get to the airport and I find out the hotel, the, the, where I'm going, the hotel is about an hour away and I've got about $25 in my pocket. That so I got a cab ride about three quarters of the way to the hotel. And then I had a hitchhike to the hotel. I mean, this was this was top door stuff. Uh, make this up. I did, I, I did not get a, a job offer. I don't think I did from Conoco Oil, <laughs> and so it was a good thing. Good thing the Dolphins uh, things worked out there for a little bit. I definitely I'm glad you told that story because it's. Um your story is, is relatable to a lot of athletes that maybe might be on the fence. Like, well, am I going to go pro or maybe I should have a backup plan. So to someone that's, that is explored, uh, numerous options, potentially it's, it's great to hear because I feel like it's relatable. Not everybody's a lottery pick. Not everybody's a first round draft pick on uh, the NFL. Um, so it's great to hear that. So the fundamentals that you establish at William Mary, um, I just want to say real quick, my storied, my storied football career on the eighth grade B team, my, the quote that always lives in my head was see what you hit. Uh, my coach always told me, see what you hit um, until Oklahoma drill came. And then I ran away from what I was supposed to hit, uh, but you didn't. And so it helped you get to this point where now we're back at this first contract, I guess, Steve, talk about how the feeling of because many people don't understand Don Shula is like you said on the Mount Rushmore of coaches talk about the feeling of your rookie year earning your way and, and playing for for Don Shula that that first year and integrating yourself into the NFL well you know you you, you get to you know you get to training camp at the time they brought in 90 people 
I'm a free agent. I have no shot at making the team. I'm just a, a practice body, no question about it. And so I, I, I get to training camp and it was back then it was eight weeks of two a days, eight weeks of two a days. The, you know, the, the players today and moan about what they go through. We, we went through eight full pads, every practice we're in Miami. It's July, August. You can imagine what, what that's like. And, and so it's a very intense situation. And for me, it was very challenging because in a whole day I might get in four plays in practice that, that you know, I might get four plays. And so it, it, it's hard to stand out when you never get to, to practice. Right. And, and so like, you can't make a mistake. You can't make a mistake. And so I, I go through this process and we, you go through four weeks and then the preseason started and I got lucky because in the preseason, for whatever reason, some guys started to get hurt. And even though I didn't get to practice, I got to play in the preseason games. The only problem was in practice, I was an outside linebacker in the games I had to play inside linebacker. So I'm, I'm flying blind most of the time in, in this situation. Anyway, I play great. I mean, I, I, was, I was going for it. And I could hit. That's what I could do. I could hit. Was the coaching staff saying, who's that guy with the long hair and the, and the, the mustache knocking guys out? <laughs> Nobody was saying anything. But, I, you know, uh, my coach, Bill Arnsberger, I was very fortunate. Again, another real technician, very much uh, an intellectual guy. And, you know, not a screamer, not a yeller, not one of those guys. Just, you know, you know make the play. And anyway, so I play, I'm playing really well. And now we go to week five. Then the first cut, they, they come down, I think, to 70. I don't get cut. Then they come down to 60. I don't get cut. Third cut, they come down to 50. I don't get cut. And so here we are. We're going in the last preseason game. The final cut goes from 50 to 45, playing down in the Superdome in New Orleans. Archie Manning, not Peyton or Eli, was the, the quarterback. And I had a quarterback sack in that game, and I made a big play on special teams. And after the game, I'm thinking, okay, they, they, they typically keep eight linebackers. I'm number eight. Maybe I have a shot. And so fly back home to Miami. And Monday morning, you walk over. And there's a guy called the Turk, and he's the cut guy. Yeah. And if he says to you, you know, you know, bring your playbook to the office, that means Done. you're cut. Well, I walk over there and they go, bring your playbook to the office. And I was pissed. I was pissed. And, you know, to get that close, man, to get that close. And so Don Shula calls me into his office and he says, you know, you've done a really good job here. You know, unfortunately, we don't have a spot for you right now. However, uh, would you stick around for 24 hours? And I'm trying to play this game. Oh, the New York Giants are interested in me. They're calling my agent. And so anyway, so after that meeting with Shula, 
I go back to my hotel room, St. Thomas University. I close all the curtain windows in the hotel room. And I'm, I just had a major pity party that night, feeling so sorry for myself, hearing the guys who made the team out celebrating. And I'm in the dark, you know, just down and out. The next day, I get a knock on my door at 1 o'clock, and I'm back on the team. They, they put an offensive lineman on injured reserve. It opened up one spot. They looked around the, the league in terms of who got cut, and they didn't pick anybody up, and I'm back on the team. The problem is, in 24 hours, all my bravado, all my confidence, everything that caused me to play really well in the preseason went out the window. And now I just don't want to get cut. You know, what people don't realize in the NFL, that your job is on the line every day. There's no guaranteed anything. There's no guarantee of anything. And especially someone like me who's on that bubble, and every week they're bringing players in, you know, you know one or two guys are getting cut, and they're bringing in different guys depending on what's going on. Steve, I, I hate to I hate to cut you off right here, but the first thing that has come to my mind is I really wish HBO was was on back when you were playing because that would have been a hell of a hard knocks episode. It would have been. <laughs> it would have been. So, so for the first five weeks of the season, I'm just playing not to make a mistake. And right. When you're playing not to make a mistake, you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. And it was week six, and we were playing the New York Jets. And I'm walking out to the practice field and Shula's in front of me. And, you know, here's the Don Shula moment. He yep. turns around. He looks me square in the eye and he says, son, you're not doing what we put you on this team to do. Turn around, walked away. And what he was telling me was I was going to get cut again. And, it, you know, like God saying, here you go. And and I'll never forget that. I, I, I stopped in my tracks. I literally stopped myself, collected myself, and said to myself, all right, we're not going to worry about this anymore. I'm going to give my best effort, end of story. And if my best effort is good enough, great. And if my best effort is not good enough, great. And in that moment, that's when I learned this lesson, don't be attached to the outcome. And that lesson, you know, that was, I was 19, 1980. Here we are in 2021. I lived that, that lesson every day. Don't be attached to the outcome. And I learned it right in that moment. I ended up uh, playing uh, four years, uh, career ended with a knee injury and got to play in Super Bowl 17, got to be captain of that game. And it was, you know, it was an incredible experience, incredible experience. The thing I learned from Don Shula, he demanded absolute perfection. That was the standard. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew the expectation. Everybody knew the consequence of not being perfect. I also learned from him, you know, how to be focused. And the thing I loved about him his goal was to win the Super Bowl 365 days a year, 365 days a year, never wavered off of that goal. The moment you pulled into the parking lot uh, of, of training camp, you knew why you were there to win a Super Bowl. Right. And you know, great coach, 
that stood out. You know, those are the things that stood out for me. Talk about your that Super Bowl experience as a whole. I mean, the whole day, the buildup, the game, the fans. You know, Steve, not many people on this planet have been in a Super Bowl. It goes without saying how incredible the experience is. Um, and you were a captain for it. Can you talk about that whole day and um, just sort of the, the emotions that you felt and sort of the things that stick out to you, even if it doesn't have to be a certain play, it can just be. I, a I, it's a, first of all, it starts with back then. Well, th this was a, a strike shortened season. Usually there's two weeks between the championship game and then the Super Bowl because the, it was a strike shortened season. We only had one week. So we played the New York Jets down in the Orange Bowl. Uh, won that game in the mud, in the rain. A.J. Dewey had three interceptions. And that day, we that night, we flew out to – we played to L.A. We, uh, the game was in uh, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And at that time, they gave every player 10 Super Bowl tickets, you know, to do whatever you want with them. And we're flying out on the plane – and all the veterans are coming up to me, you know, you're using all your tickets, you're using all your tickets. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, no I, had no clue, I had no clue what was going on. And I, 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 I had my brother, my sister, my mother, my father, and uh, my girlfriend at the time. So I, I had used for five tickets and I gave away the other five. Little did I realize that you could sell these tickets for a lot of money. And, <laughs> Fortunately, fortunately, they, they, the team would sell you as many tickets as you wanted for $40. And so when I say they had a little arbitrage going on, buying tickets for 40 bucks, I forget you could sell them for a hundred or a couple hundred bucks. I forget at the time. And so when I got there, all I was concerned about was seeing how many tickets I could get how many tickets I can sell. And uh, so that, that's how you, that's how you got ready for the Super Bowl. How many tickets I got ready for you sell? You, and, you were um, before you, you even realized. And then, uh, and, and then I, I got my shoe contract for pony. I got $500 for, from pony to wear my pony shoes in the game. And Sperry was giving me some, some free stuff. Uh, it, it was great. Anyway, uh, the week of preparation, it was, it was odd. And guy, you know, sorry to say, a lot of guys were just out partying and having a good old time. And in the end, it really cost us. So, you, you know, you go through all week, and it's a very different week because usually during, you know, not usually, during the regular season, it's all very regimented. Everything happens in a certain time. And now you introduce the media. And again, this is, this is nothing compared to the, the circus that takes place today. However, it, it's a whole different thing, a whole different week. Guys staying out late at night. It, it, it was a, a free-for-all. A lot of distractions. And, um, you know, now it's game time. Now it's game time. It's, you know, you, you feel it. You feel it. it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And somehow, somehow I had in my mind that, you know, if you go out for the coin toss, you're going to get a coin. I, I, I don't know where I picked that like a kid. I, so we, we have the coin toss and I'm waiting for my coin. I want my coin. Anyway, the, 
so the, the game starts and I remember early on, uh, they kicked off to us and I'm blocking someone and I'm blocking and blocking. And you kind of, you're counting in your mind, you know, how long it's going to last. And I, I was blocking this guy for a long period of time. And then I finally let up. Next thing I know, ball carrier is running by me and my guy makes the tackle. And, and I, and I said, all right, I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm not going to let that happen again. Yeah. It's, the, it's and, game time. It's the Super Bowl. Let's right. go. And, and so, you know, game continues and they scored a touchdown. They're kicking off to us. And th th this was, this was a, a really cool thing. We had studied them and we knew they had a tendency. They wanted to kick the ball down to their left or right. Okay. And we drew up this play where Fulton Walker would catch it on that side of the field. He'd come up that sideline, getting everyone to converge towards him. And then he was going to cut it back. And we had a blocking scheme where we were forming a wall. And, you know, when he cut it back, he, he'd come around that wall. My job, my job on the kickoff team, there's a guy called the safety who kind of hangs back in case things break loose and he's there to make that tackle. So my job was to run up on the kickoff, divert one guy down to, to our right, and then circle all the way back around. And my job was to block the safety, Clarence Harmon, number 38. We, the way we drew it up is the way it happened, the way it happened. They kick down to our right, Fulton takes it up the right, breaks it back. I run up, I divert my guy, come back around, and I'm coming back around full speed, full speed full speed yeah and and fulton breaks free and clarence Harmon is right there and clarence turns to his uh to his right getting ready to make the tackle when he turned i hit him right on the chin crown of my helmet today that's a seventy-five thousand dollar fine at a minimum <laughs> and he never saw me coming he was out instantly and Fulton Walker goes 98 yards for a touchdown. And, and I remember running down the field, I knocked him out, I knocked him out, I knocked him out. And, you know, I mean, that was my, that was my 15 seconds of, of fame in the NFL. And luckily, luckily it's captured on, you know, every year they do a highlight film of the, the Super Bowl. Oh yes, we we uh, we are aware. Block by number fifty-two, Steve Schultz. Fulton Walker's ninety-eight-yard kickoff return was the longest return in Super Bowl history. A crunching block by Steve Schultz eliminated the last Redskin in Walker's path. You know that was my fifteen seconds of fame. Anyway, we had the lead going into the fourth quarter, and what we were running out of steam. And then there was a fourth and one. John Riggins off left tackle 44 yards and that was that was it we lost that sucked of course we we always would would prefer to win but incredible experience nonetheless and and steve little do you know i'm aware of the clip and we'll be stitching it into the podcast uh, <laughs> my, my editing skills have improved so this is what what you you will thank god otherwise no one would ever know yeah <laughs> <laughs> but Steve, that thank you for retelling that ex experience. I, I mean, I get goosebumps like listening to stuff like that. It's incredible being rel reliving a moment that most people don't get to experience. Steve, by all means, you had a 
I would consider a very successful NFL career. But like many people, you had an injury that cut your career short. Do you mind talking about you know your injury and and how you transitioned from uh, dealing with your injury and then transitioning into investment banking and in sort of the corporate role? How did that transition go down? Well. Uh, what happened, we were, we were scrimmaging the New Orleans Saints in the year before in the same scrimmage, I had hurt my knee. And so in this scrimmage, I, I had a bad feeling. I, I had a premonition. I was really worried about getting hurt. And we go through the scrimmage and I don't get hurt. And I'm done. And I'm on the sideline. And then someone else gets hurt. And who has to go back in? Yours truly. I go back in for one play. I'm diving over the pile to make a tackle. Fullback hits me on my knee, directly on my knee. I flip over, my leg whiplashes, tore two ligaments and a cartilage. And I'm laying on the field, I'm on my back. I got my heads on, my hands on my head. Doctor comes out, they they check your leg, you're done. And literally, I was done. I, I spent the next year rehabbing and my knee just never really responded. I went to training camp the following year. You, you, you talk in my leg, I was dragging my leg. You talk about Oklahoma drill. Well, that's always the first drill of training camp. That's always drill number one. <laughs> yes. I, man I on can man. Even man on man. And so I, I'll never forget that. So here, here we are. It's Oklahoma drill. And I'm standing there and I know my leg is not sound and it's my turn to go in the drill. I look at my, my linebacker coach and he, he wouldn't look me in the eye. He knew what was going on, but there was nothing he could do. And I go through that drill. I get my butt kicked. I get back in line. Now I'm up for a second turn and I look at him and he goes, no, you don't have to do it again. I say, F that, excuse my language. And, you know, I, I, I step up and I drag, I drag my leg around for um, two weeks. And then I finally went into Shula, Coach Shula, and said, look, I'm, I'm going to get hurt again if I stay out here. And back then they had a, uh, I forget what they call it now, you know, I could, uh, a career ending injury thing where you would get paid half your, your salary for the year. And that was the end of it. So. I was done and uh, I had to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And right. so I went back and university of Miami had an MBA program at the time. If you had an undergrad in business, you could get your MBA in nine months. Nice. So that sounded like a good deal to me. And so I went back and I got my, my MBA and then they had a career day at the university of Miami you know, different companies come in and this guy comes in from uh, Goldman Sachs. He's an investment banker, young guy, good looking guy, charismatic guy. And he's talking about investment banking. I have no clue what investment banking is. I said, whatever that guy's doing, sign me up. I want to do that. Looks fun. And, and so soon to find out Goldman Sachs has a very, very intensive interview process. Yes. I made it to, I made it through one interview, I think, before I got hit the chopping block. Um, fortunately, I also interviewed with uh, Citicorp, 
Uh, they had an investment bank at the time. He interviewed with them, met a nice guy, went up to New York, uh, passed their test. And I, and so I went to work for Citicorp. Uh, the training program was in New York, went through six months of a training program, came back, back to Miami, had really no clue what I was doing. Investment banking, you know, I, I had no clue. Uh, I was in a, a, a sales capacity. So I kind of muddled my way through that. And then they were closing the office. And so I went back to New York to interview again. And a couple of guys that I had become friendly with during my first trip to New York, they had moved to Solomon Brothers. And they got me an interview with Solomon Brothers. And at the time, Solomon Brothers was the center of the universe in terms of uh, right. Wall Street. Right. John Goodfriend was the, the CEO. And uh, so I went up there and I interviewed and I met a couple guys and I played the whole football thing in my Super Bowl Thank ring God. and, you know, leveraged that whole deal. And I managed, I managed to get myself hired without having to go through the training program at Solomon Brothers. And I got a job on the government desk, like one of the, like the second most coveted job. One would be a trader on the government desk. The other would be salesperson. I got a job as a salesperson. Again, I got no clue what I'm doing. I got no clue what I'm doing. Anyway, first day on the job, what they do is they give all the new guys, they give, they give you all the big accounts that aren't doing business with the firm at the time. And your job is to go get business from them. Right. And um, then they, I, and they gave me another account. It was a trading account, commodity trading account. And so first day on the job, this account, uh, guy wanted to make, make me look good. First day, young guy trying to help me out. And he gives me a billion dollar trade to execute called a butterfly trade, three different securities. Right. Here I am, man. Stand up out of my seat. Murph! <laughs> 300 million two-year notes. 10-year trader. Offer this. Back to Murph. You know, screaming this stuff out. No clue what I'm doing. Trade doesn't happen. And I remember slinking down into my seat going, what the hell have you gotten yourself into? <laughs> I have no clue. Oh, again, again, that was, a, that was my wake up moment on wall street was I better go learn what the hell I'm doing. And, and that's exactly, that's exactly what I did. I, I would go in to the New York trading office every Saturday and Sunday. And it was a huge office, huge office, huge office, like big airline hangar. And I go in there Saturday, Sunday, I'd be the only guy in there. And I spend my whole weekend, all weekend long, preparing, learning, trying to know what the heck I was doing so I could go out and, and, and you know, represent the company in an intelligent way. And so, you know, that was a learning experience, um, you know, very interesting challenge. And so that was, that was my life on Wall Street. That lasted about five years. What was more, I guess, terrifying for you? Was it the failed trade that you just described or was it Don Shula yelling at you uh, to pick your, get your gear in shape before he, he cuts you again. Well, I, the fail, the, the wall street was scarier in the sense because I had no clue what I was doing. At least in football, I knew what I was doing. If I made a mistake, I knew what mistake I, I made 
on Wall Street, I didn't even know, I didn't know, I mean, literally didn't know anything. So yeah. it, it was learning something for scratch. So that was, that, that was definitely uncomfortable. Right. And so, so you have this Wall Street experience and then you transition into real estate. A few things happen. I end up back in, back in Florida. And um, then I got introduced to real estate and I started going to, as a real estate speaker, I started going to the seminars and the whole idea of being in real estate. I mean, what real estate was about, I, I kind of got it. And then I, I, I met someone who was in the business and I partnered up with that, that person. And they knew, they knew the technical aspect, the contract, the inventory, and we were going to these seminars and, and I was figuring out, okay, if we're going to succeed, this is what you need to do. And so in my first year, this was 1991, one of the worst real estate markets ever in California and ended up closing 53 homes, selling 53 homes, you know, considering the average agent sells four homes a year that, you know, that wasn't bad. And then uh, in, in my second year was on track to close a hundred sales. And I came up with this idea of real estate coaching, real estate coaching did not exist at the time. And so I went to the guy, his name was Mike Ferry, who was doing these real estate seminars. And I said, Mike, what I did with my partner, I think I could do with a lot of people. And I, I talked about my thoughts about creating a coaching program for real estate agents. And Mike said, great, let's do it. And uh, so I, I joined his company and we went to a little program in Las Vegas, uh, signed up nine people for coaching that didn't exist. And then we went from there to San Francisco and we signed up 90 people for a coaching program. So I had to go back to the office and make up what the coaching program was going to be. And again, that was uh, 1993. And here we are today and still doing it. You're a, a pioneer in that respect. Real estate coaching. Was there a moment where you felt like, you know, I'm doing well what I'm doing in real estate, but it would be much cooler if I could actually coach people to do it. Was that sort of how you felt transitioning from selling real estate to actually empowering people to do the same? I didn't enjoy real estate at all. That was, that was not my <laughs> cup of tea. Um, that was just doing what I needed to do in order to make money. Sure. And I've always been fascinated by success. And the coaching idea was just really a byproduct of me always being interested in, in, in how, you know, what causes people to succeed. So it, it was an idea that was very much in alignment with my passion, my mission in life. And so it just, it was more of a calling than anything else. For the real estate agents that will be watching this podcast, when you work with uh, agents, what is the top thing that most agents need to work, need to improve on? Uh, doing what I ask them to do. So following directions? Yeah. <laughs> Being coachable. Real estate is not rocket science. Real estate is not rocket science. And I, I, I lit into the 
group today, had a, a, a call today, and you know, I shared with the group what I did when I got into the business. I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't know nothing. I was in a new area, didn't know anybody, didn't know the inventory, didn't know the contract, didn't know anything. And what I did is I would, you know, go to these programs and they they put these top performers up on stage and I would listen, you know, what are they doing to be successful? And I, I found, you know, some that I resonated with and whatever they were doing, that's what I did. I, I didn't sit there and question it. I, it, it, I was fortunate in, in my first minute in real estate, I figured out what the business was all about. It's a progression. Contacts equal leads, leads equal appointments, appointments equal listings, listings equal sales. I got that right from the beginning. And so all I did was model success. And I, I was sharing with the group the things that I modeled 31 years ago would be the same things they need to model today. So it's still, they, so they, they all have the opportunity that, yeah, they all have the opportunity to do exactly what I do. And they have the benefit. I've been doing this 31 years. I've worked with the best of the best. I work with the best of the best and there's no magic. There's no magic. I, I, I see what top producers do. I see it every day. And so I'm it because I see it every day. I communicate it every day. It's a simple formula. And I just need them to do what I ask them to do. Just like, you know, when you play football or basketball or baseball, I never once, never once, I played football for 11 years total. I never once questioned a coach. I never once went up to a coach and said, why am I doing that? Not once. No, I didn't agree with things that they did. Yeah. And I would sit there and grumble to myself. And I, I can remember being in warmups before practice stretching and going, what are these idiots thinking? Right. I, I had those thoughts. Did I verbalize them? No. Did I ever not do what I was told to do? No. The only way coaching works is if you do what the coach tells you to do. End of story. End of story. Be coachable. Subscribe to Steve's webinars and you'll have. No, you, you, you either love me or you hate me. You love me. I, 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 when I first started coaching, uh, I did a lot of work with Caldwell Banker. And every year they would, they would do a survey. And one of the questions on the survey was, what do you love most about Caldwell Banker? Another question was, what do you hate most about or love least about Caldwell Banker? I'm proud to say I was on both lists. I'm proud to say <laughs> I was on both lists. And, you know, you either resonate with me or you don't. It, it's okay either way. I'm not attached to the outcome. Sure. However, if you resonate, if you resonate with what I say, and again, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. All of you can see that right now. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. However, if you're going to hire me, what's the point in hiring me if you're not going to do what I ask you to do? And right. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I know it works. And I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm not saying I'm right. I know what works. There you go. I, Steve, I wanted to ask you real quick about um, culture. So you live in California. You know, I'm sure your, your model of real estate is geographic agnostic, but however, do you see a difference 
between like the real estate culture and, and, and like California or Texas or Florida? Do you have to coach a real estate agent in California differently than Texas? Or do you believe your model is generally, uh, you treat, it's kind of the same thing for everybody. No, I, every client is different. It doesn't make a difference where they are. I don't, I don't have a model, like here's the model and everyone does the same thing. My job, when, when I coach, the first thing, that I'm thinking about as I'm talking to a potential new client is how do I position this person for success? Are, are they in the right company? Are they in the right marketplace? Are they on a team, not on a team in the right price point? Are they positioned to succeed? And so the first thing I'm trying to figure out is how do I get them in the right place? So to answer your question, Every client I work with is different. It's all dependent on that client, where they are, what they want to accomplish, what's the opportunity in front of them. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, what is the biggest intangible that you took from the football field that you applied to the real estate world? It's probably preparation. One of, one of my mentors now, a guy named Chris Voss, who a former FBI hostage negotiator wrote the book, never split the difference. Chris has a great saying, we rise to the level of our preparation. We rise to the level of our preparation. And what you learn in sports is you've got to train. You've got to train. You've got to be in the weight room. You've got to be in the film room. You've, you've, you, you know, you've got to be on the field practicing and you've got to be prepared. You've got to do your homework every day. Right. And if you prepare yourself in the right way, then all bets are on. I played for one of the greatest coaches ever, Don Shula, winning his coach in football history. I take the lessons that I learned every day because they apply everywhere. They're, they're not just on the football field. They apply to life 100%. And I look at real estate as a performance sport. It's about performance. And my job is to help people perform at a higher level. And everything I learned on the football field translates 100%. You know, I, I make my clients go out and hit people hard every day. I mean, you know, no, I'm only kidding. Yeah. <laughs> to the audience, he is just kidding. We, he is uh, no physical. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Yeah, no physical hitting, no encouragement of, the, of that nature. All right, Steve. Uh, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Now we're going to get into the playlist segment. Steve, question, what are you listening to right now? All right, I'm going to have the most bizarre answer that any guest will ever have. Oh, please, please. We, we need that. We okay. need that. First of all, I have no clue what a playlist is. <laughs> None. Okay. None. And I, I do what I will listen to music wise is on Pandora radio. It's uh, called chill house, whatever. I've, I've heard of chill house. Okay. So okay. that's my music. However, here's my odd, odd answer. Okay. What I love to do, and this is bizarre. Okay. You know, rather than listening to music, I for hours will watch video clips of the voice America's got talent all those type of singing shows 
And I, I literally, I will just watch clip after clip after clip. And the reason I do that is I love watching these people. You know, these are people from every walk of life, every walk of life. And they get out on these stages. And sometimes it's a big stage. Wembley, I, I, I like watching it from the UK and Australia more than anything else. And they're on these huge stages. You know, they've never been on these stages before. And they have their moment. They, they, they have their moment. Just like I had my, my Super Bowl moment. And sure. they get out there. And, you know, you can tell they're nervous as hell. They've never done this before. And they start off a little, little shaky. And then all of a sudden, they'll, they'll hit one note. And, and things just click. And now, and now the audience, now the audience is getting into it. Because now, you know, you're, you're just witnessing this just amazing, amazing performance. And, yes. and you watch these people, and they just let it rip. And the place is going crazy. And it's wild. I, I just, I, I just love that because it shows that that's inside of every single one of us, every single one of us. If we're willing to let all the walls down and, and just, just be who we really are and, and, and they let it rip and then, and then it ends and they all of them, many of them fall, you know, fall down, literally fall down is, is all that emotion comes comes out. I, I love that. I could watch that all day long. So Thank, yes, that's what Thank I do. <laughs> Steve, that is awesome. What I usually do, Steve, is when I publish the playlist and the episode details, I include a link into the person. I'll, I'll send you some of my favorite ones. Okay. <laughs> but this time we're going to have a voice clips because there people need to see this i think i agree with you there's something special in um there's something special that comes out in being in showing your vulnerability and just doing oh, it it's, just committing it's it's at you you and you see it. it is the most beautiful thing in the world when you see someone just let go and let you know let it out they they're, they're just letting it all out and it's it, it, and and you see the the audience the audience it's all one experience i mean everyone gets into it Everyone is so happy for that person up on stage. You know, they feel it. They, they, they're all part of that moment. It's, it's just beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. That's awesome, Steve. Well, Steve, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Um, Steve Shule, everyone, uh, co-captain of the Miami Dolphins Super Bowl appearance with Don Shula, current real estate performance coach. Steve, thanks again, and I hope you had a good time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.